The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. Luke 24. Luke 24, 13 through 32, page 885 in the Pew Bible. Luke 24, beginning at verse 13. And let us give our attention to God's Word. On that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. When they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had seen, they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, when he opened to us the scriptures? And thus we end the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let us bow together in prayer. Almighty and everlasting God, we thank you that you have spoken to us. Thank you that you have had your revelation written for us. As the Spirit gave this word, to the prophets and apostles, and in turn to us. 
We pray he will work now as we examine this word, that he will be our interpreter, that he will exert his power and cause us to understand truth from this text of Scripture. Lead us back again to your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and his holy ways. Speak to us, we pray. Amen. Bring you greetings from Pilgrim OPC. We are thankful to be sister churches and working together, also along with Zion in South Wake. The communion of saints is a, a wonderful thing. We're grateful for it. Well, as we come to this text this morning, it was Sunday. It was Sunday evening. That big day in which the Lord Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead. And now he was going to actually meet with two of his followers as they traveled on this road to Emmaus. Luke is the only gospel writer who records this this interesting encounter. Now you may have noticed that I stopped before the paragraph ends here in the ESV, and I thought you might be wondering why I did that. I did that because I divided it on the basis of Jesus first with the two disciples, and then Jesus meeting with the apostles and other disciples. So that's why the odd division, and it could be divided in different ways, of course, and probably no division is perfect. But in the theological background of this passage, it deals with two important doctrines, um, the revelation of God and the illumination of God. He reveals things to us. He reveals himself to us. And he illuminates us and enables us to understand mainly the work of the Holy Spirit. He also closes our eyes. God is sovereign. He can close the eyes. He can open the eyes. And yet, we are responsible to take his revelation and do something about it. Both of those are taught in Scripture. We are responsible, and yet the Lord must open our eyes. And we see that in this text. Jesus had taught the resurrection previous to his followers. He had taught it multiple times. In fact, he had said at one point, I am the resurrection and the life. This was no new thing to them when Jesus arose from the dead. That is, it wasn't new in the sense that they had heard it before but they had not understood it as they should have. All through Luke 24, the doubt of the followers of Jesus stands out. And doubt can open the door to a lot of problems in our lives. It can open the door to insecurity, sadness, 
worry, and anxiety, to name a few. And we're all guilty. We're all guilty of doubting what God has revealed to us and doubting his word. Now we learn here about our doubts and the cure for those doubts through the Lord himself. Only he can cure them. He commands us to believe his word, but sometimes our eyes are not open. Everything we need is in this book for us to have a good and wholesome and joyful life here on earth and hereafter. But so many times we don't get the message. We don't get the message that God sent his son to die for us, to rise again, to give us everlasting life, and to give us a good life. We have to deal with these struggles that we have here below. And his word helps us. Opened eyes and burning hearts. My title this morning. First of all, Jesus rebuked the two disciples for their lack of faith. He rebuked them. Secondly, Jesus instructed the two disciples. He instructed them further. Thirdly, the eyes of these two disciples were opened and their hearts burned. Their eyes were opened and their hearts burned. So first of all, Jesus rebuked the two disciples for their lack of faith. So here they were, walking and talking. In verse 13, these two disciples. It was Resurrection Sunday. They were going to Emmaus, about seven miles west of Jerusalem, apparently to their home. That very day, verse 13 says, it was still Resurrection Sunday. They talked about all the things that had happened, verses 14 and 15. And then Jesus came to them in verse 15. He appeared to them in his resurrection body. And in this resurrection body, for those 40 days before his ascension back to heaven, he could appear and disappear at will. We, don't, we can't give a full description of what his body was like when he was resurrected, but it was a little bit different, and they didn't recognize him, and he was moving freely, and suddenly he appeared. In verse 16, the eyes of those two disciples were kept from recognizing Jesus. They were restrained. It's a passive verb. They weren't doing anything. Something was being done to them, just like I can say, I drove my car down here this morning from northeast Raleigh near Lake Forest. Or I could say, my car was driven down here this morning, and you might get the idea, oh, you have an automatic drive car, uh, and I would be passive. But no, I was, my foot was on the accelerator, and my hands were on the wheel, and I was active. But these guys were passive, and they were restrained from recognizing Jesus. God restrained their eyes. You may ask, why did he do that? I don't know. I don't know why he did that. But he did. In verse 17, Jesus asked what they were talking about. 
And verse 17 notes that they were sad. So he's getting them to tell him what's going on in their minds. He doesn't just immediately begin to instruct them. He wants them to express what's happening in their own heads. What things, he asked in verse 19. Jesus was a prophet, mighty in deed and word. Well, they got that right, didn't they? Jesus, of course, is the prophet. He is the great prophet who receives from the Father and gives to the people. And he is mighty in word and deed. What he spoke happened. He spoke a word to the sea to be calm, and it was. He spoke, your sins are forgiven, and they were. He healed sick people. He raised them. He was mighty in word and deed. They were right. And in verse 20, Cleopas said that the Jewish religious leaders had crucified Jesus. Of course, Jesus knew that. But he went on to say in verse 21, we had hoped he would redeem Israel. We had hoped Jesus would redeem us. But you can detect the doubt in his voice and in his mind as you read this. We had hoped. But we need to understand what God's message means. What was his intention? Cleopas was putting into the word redeem something that God had not intended in his message. Words mean different things in different contexts and for different purposes. And so they thought he would redeem Israel, and they were, they were thinking about political deliverance, which is good. That's a good thing. We all like our freedom. But Jesus actually had redeemed them by his death and by his resurrection. He had redeemed his people, and he does redeem his people. But they were looking at the word in a different way. And then in verse 21, Cleopas goes on and he says, Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. It's been the the third day to happen on the third day, right? So, he went on to say, well, the women went to the tomb in verses 22 through 24. They saw angels who said that Jesus was alive. Other believers went to the tomb. They didn't see the body. They didn't see the body. They didn't see the body. Where was he? in the tomb and their hope was waning and now Jesus talks in verse 25 Jesus begins oh foolish ones it's kind of harsh isn't it oh foolish ones Now, by the way, this is not the same word that's used in Matthew 5.22 when Jesus warns us about calling someone a fool. 
that word indicates scorn of the character of the person. Scorn for the person. But this word here is much milder. Refers to not using our mind, dull, dull of perception. Jesus says, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had written. Slow in their hearts to believe. The prophets wrote about this. The Old Testament wrote about this. And you are slow of heart to believe. Faith has to come from the heart. It certainly has to come out of the mouth, but it has to come from the heart. And you are slow of heart to believe. You're not putting your heart into this. It seems like they wanted to believe, but they weren't convinced in their hearts. I mean, they did believe in Jesus, but they didn't understand this resurrection as they should. Notice that Jesus did not say, I commend you for your honesty. It seems to be in vogue to do this. Well, I commend you for your honesty. Well, honesty should be commended, of course. But Jesus rebukes them. Slow of heart to believe. He rebukes them because why? Because doubt is not good. Doubt is not good when it comes to the word of God. So, we should not doubt. But we do. I do. You do. We doubt. We doubt far too much. And and you know, when you're examining yourself, you can ask, how could I possibly doubt the one who died for me and rose again to save my soul from eternal damnation? How could I possibly doubt him? And then the next moment we do it. (laughs) It's not to be commended. It's to be rebuked. So first of all, Jesus rebukes the doubt of his followers. Secondly, Jesus instructed the two disciples in verses 26 and 27. First, he rebuked them for their doubt. Secondly, he instructs them. In verse 26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer? Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer and enter into his glory? It's necessary. Why was it necessary for Christ to suffer and enter into his glory? To accomplish his mission, of course. To save his people from their sins. Because it had been decreed from before the foundation of the world and all of God's decrees will be fulfilled. Because that's what God demanded. Payment for sin. And it was necessary. And the disciples should have known that better 
than they knew it. It was necessary that he suffer and especially that his suffering terminate at the cross and his burial and his remaining in the state of death for a period of time. That was necessary because the wages of sin is death. And Jesus had to do that to make the atoning sacrifice for sinners. He had to shed his blood on the cross. It was also necessary for him to enter his glory, be resurrected, ascend to heaven, sit at the right hand of the Father and come again to judge. Suffering comes first and then glory. And the disciples had not gotten this message clearly and clung to it as they should have. When Jesus was crucified, they were stunned. When he was buried, they were scared and sad. When he was raised from the dead, they were surprised. He had to suffer and to enter into his glory. And that principle is the principle, a principle that applies to our lives as his followers as well. The glory doesn't come without the suffering. And we make a mistake if we present the gospel to other people as if you're carefree. You're not carefree. You have many troubles and trials and tribulations. But it's certainly better to face them with Jesus than without Him. And He helps us through them. Suffering in this world and glory in the next. And there's glory in this world too. I don't mean, I don't mean to say it's all bad in this world. There are so many wonderful things to enjoy when we belong to Christ. And it's so much better in the next. But there's no crown without a cross. The disciples were in despair because they did not know that the scriptures said that the Messiah would have to suffer and enter his glory. They were not thorough Students of the scripture, as they should have been. Look at verse 27. Jesus interpreted to them or expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And what would the scriptures be? The Old Testament. Sometimes, you know, we preachers sometimes say, I I, I don't know what to preach on. Can't find a text. The apostles only had the Old Testament. How about that? And yet Jesus preached himself to these two from that Old Testament. Even the Old Testament proclaims the gospel. And how sad it is that some people think that the Old Testament taught salvation by works. And the New Testament teaches salvation by grace. How sad is that? That's not what Jesus preached. No one is saved by his own works or hers. And it was true of the Old Testament saints as well. They weren't saved by works either. The only way of salvation 
now and always and always has been through Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, yesterday, today, and forever. The Old Testament speaks of Christ, and Christ and the apostles preached from the Old Testament his salvation by grace. When Jesus read from Isaiah at the synagogue in Nazareth, he was preaching from the Old Testament. He said, today this is fulfilled right before you. I am that anointed one. I am the one who was anointed to come and preach peace. I am the one who came to heal and raise the dead. I am that one in Isaiah. Peter did this in Acts 2 when he preached from Psalms and Joel about Christ who had just been raised from the dead. Paul did this in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 when he said in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ is our Passover. But there's so many clear passages in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22 and others that speak so clearly of Christ and he explained to them again what he had taught them prior to the crucifixion He had to do remedial work with these two disciples. They had to go to summer school, so to speak. And so do we. That's why we're here, isn't it? That's why we're staying for Sunday school, to get some more. Because we need it. We need to be reminded. We have to know these things. So Jesus repeated to his disciples, his two disciples, what they should have known better. They were hearing what they wanted to hear. And we need to hear accurately. Instead of looking looking for a political Messiah, they should have been looking for one who would die and rise again to save them from their sins. What do you want to hear from Scripture? Most of us today want to hear encouraging words. We want to hear comforting words. We want to, well, do we want to hear flattering words? Scripture will give us comforting words. Scripture will give us encouraging words. But it will not give us flattering words. Jesus said, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe. We have a filter. And you don't have to turn it on. It works automatically and it sorts out words and it sorts out what you hear. So we have to... Clean that filter. We have to have a filter that takes out what should be taken out and lets through what should, what should come through. And we're not always good at that. People love John 3.16. I love John 3.16. Who wouldn't love John 3.16? God shall love the world and gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. 
And we love that. God loved us. God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And that's music to our souls. And why did God love us? Why does God love us? Not because we're good. Not, I'm sorry, not because we're lovable. God loved us in spite of who we are. We need to hear it as it is. So the second point is the Lord has to instruct us over and over again. Thirdly, the eyes of the two disciples were opened and their hearts burned. First, Jesus rebuked the disciples. Secondly, he taught them. And thirdly, their eyes were opened and their hearts burned. So they make a request in verse 28. In verse 28, Jesus indicated that he would have gone further. But in verse 29, they restrained him. They encouraged him strongly to stay with them. Apparently, it appears they came to their home in Emmaus. They restrained him. Stay with us. We all want the Lord's presence. But notice this. They did not yet know who he was. They did not yet recognize him as Jesus. But they were, there was something about him, and they wanted him to stay. So they ate together in verse 30. And in regular meals those days, The bread was not cut, it was broken. And in the breaking of the bread, they recognized him. Now, is this Lord's Supper? I I don't think so. Because those two disciples were not at the Lord's Supper. They didn't know what it looked like. And and at the Lord's Supper, the Lord said, I'm not going to do this again until I drink it new with you in the kingdom of God. And so, no, this appears to be just a regular meal. And in verse 31, the eyes of the disciples were opened, and they knew him. They recognized him. How did that happen? We, we don't know. Well, we do know that the Lord opened their eyes. It was something spiritual. It was something mystical. It was something divine. The Lord now allowed them to recognize him. Verse 31, their eyes were opened and they knew him. He had encouraged them to believe his word, but they needed help and we need help. Because even after conversion, the old nature wants to incline us to doubt. Constant struggle, old versus new. We are new creatures in Christ, but we're not perfect. So we still need the help. And we need 
a working receiver. We need to receive the message. And our, our receiving unit was damaged when Adam sinned as our representative in the, in the garden. So it's restored when we're converted, but there's still problems with us from time to time. Their eyes were opened, a passive, because the Lord was acting and they were receiving. The Lord opens our eyes spiritually in regeneration. Except the one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. A new heart, new eyes, new spirit. The Holy Spirit changes us. The new birth, the birth from above. Now we can see spiritually, now we can hear spiritually. That's the opening of the eyes. And the eyes continue to be opened as we go through the Christian life. And sometimes not. You remember Amazing Grace? I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. First Corinthians 12, 3 says, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians 12, 3, we are still dependent on the Spirit. Now, I've just had an operation on my left eye. I had cataracts. And it's, it's kind of like looking through a cloud. So my right eye still has it. And there's still a little cloud over here, but it's much better. And if I do this, I can see 20-20 out of my left eye at a distance. You know how that works. Spiritually, it's the same thing. Sorry, it's not the same thing. God gives us new eyes and a new heart, brand new. And that's what must happen. Verse 31, then he vanished from their sight in his glorified body again, which was a little different than his regular body. And then in verse 32, Verse 32, which is very important here. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road when he opened to us the scriptures? So they had opened eyes and burning hearts. The Lord opened to them the scriptures, and they had burning hearts. So it penetrated. You know, when we started this text, earlier in the text, I should say, Jesus said, you're slow of heart. You're slow of heart. And now, we had burning hearts. And now their hearts are burning more as they recognized Him. It penetrated. Their hearts were burning Maybe your hearts are burning when you hear a beautiful piece of music. Maybe your hearts are burning when you see a beautiful scene 
from God's creation. Last September, we went to Alaska. And, and I kept saying to myself, as we drove through parts of Alaska, this was like, this was like day six. <laughs> this was like when, when God finished the creation. So raw, so beautiful. Hmm. Made my heart burn, although I didn't think that at the time. Made my spine chill. But does your heart burn when your pastors stand up here Sunday by Sunday and declare to you the Word of God? Does it burn then? That's when it should burn. When God touches your heart and speaks to you inwardly and you know, you know, it's the truth. It rings true because God has made you see that. This term opened is used three times in this part of chapter 24. It's an intensive form of the verb. He opened completely, fully for them to see. As the hymn says by William Cooper, the Spirit breathes upon the Word and brings the truth to sight. Precepts and promises afford a sanctifying light. Our glory gilds a sacred page majestic like the sun. It gives light to every age. It gives but borrows none. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. 1 Corinthians 2.12 We always need the Spirit's help. So in the third place, the eyes of the disciples were opened and their hearts burned. So, Jesus rebuked the disciples. He taught the disciples. He opened their eyes and caused their hearts to burn. What are we missing due to our lack of faith? Are we slow of heart to believe? Christ commands us to believe his word, and by the Spirit he gives us the ability to do so. Have your eyes been opened to believe? Is he further opening your eyes to see more truth as you attempt to follow the Lord? When this happens, when he opens our eyes, we'll see our sin and repent. We'll trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and not just as a one-time thing, but every day of our lives to the very last breath. And in the meantime, we'll pray. Open our eyes, Lord that we may see wondrous things from your word. Amen. Let us pray. We thank you, our God, that you have spoken. You have spoken to us most clearly in your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that you have given the Spirit to your church. We pray for his continuing illumination of our minds.
We pray for you to block out all those attacks of Satan upon us to get us to doubt your word. And we know, Lord, if we doubt one little thing, that that's wrong and we repent. And we know that if we doubt one little thing, we will tend to doubt another bigger thing and another and another. But oh, how we thank you that you're gracious. You're merciful to us. And you help us. Continue to open our eyes, we pray. Amen.